capabilities. And we count on your support too. So check out our new website, oschk.org, to check out some of the activities and ways you can support OSC 2021. This week on Radio 3, we explore topics from online and dating scams to children's book and also not related to COVID, but how often should we vaccinate our pets? But first, let me start with Alison Howe's Common Room. This week, Ali spoke to Westlife. Yep, you heard right. Love them in the 90s. So take it away, Alison Howe. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm signing to Westlife. Hello. How are you? Oh my gosh. You guys, how have you not aged at all? <laughs> I don't know about we that. Have, we have a good light here that makes us look younger. Um, which you can see it in the background. There's a halo here. going on. There. There it is. <laughs> wow, guys. It's so good to see you guys. And welcome back to music. What a triumphant return. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, you know, particularly with the world, the way it's been over the past few years. Um, but even before that, we came back for the reunion and we did some concerts, which went brilliantly. And yeah, we were planning more until the pandemic hits, but now we're looking forward to next September to coming back uh, to do more concerts. And also we have a new album out, uh, which comes out next in the next few weeks called Wild Dreams, which we wrote and recorded during lockdown. So, yeah, it's a special album. So, yeah, it's hopefully exciting times. Wow. I was going to come right to you about Wild Dreams. I mean, this time around, what does this new music mean to you? I think for us, you know, every time we make a new album, it's just trying to, you know, find some great pop songs um, and to keep the Westlife dream alive. You know, um, I think for us, it's about, you know, making an album full of songs that we feel our fans will love. Um, and songs that we love, I think, you know, it, the, all the songs that are on the album have come from us, you know, and come from a place that, we, a, a place of, you know, for me, music is all about emotion and how you feel when you listen to music. So if I'm driving in my car, if I'm walking on the beach, um, you know, and I have my music in my ears, I, I need to feel it. And if I don't feel it, then for me, the song is not very good or the song doesn't, but everybody is different also, you know? So um, that's what music is for me. And I think with this album, uh, all the songs on there, they, they give me a great feeling and um, I think it'll do the same for Westlife Band. That is amazing. Now, I've also had a sneak peek at some of the collaborators and songwriters that you've been having on the credit and it seems like they are carefully crafted. How did you choose who you want to write songs with this time? Well, we kind of just, we were in lockdown and, and in our homes and we decided to make an album which originally wasn't planned. Um, but that was our way of working from home. Uh, so we, we decided to start writing with different people, uh, different producers, different artists. And I mean, I don't think there was um, a list, so to speak. It's not like we said, yeah, we'll, you know, we will work with them and we won't work with them. I think what World Global Pandemic did was put everybody in the same scenario of being at home or, you know, having, I guess, more time and, we used that to our advantage and, and we started to, to work from home. And we came up with this album, which we're proud of, very, very, very proud of. So mm. it will stand out as a different album amongst the rest, I think, because we we, we co-wrote a lot of the songs and we also um, recorded these songs from home as well. We didn't travel outside of Ireland to record any of these songs. 
which usually we would record in Sweden or London or America or wherever, but or even Dublin in, in Ireland. But this was recorded in our houses, you know, and you know, on the west coast of Ireland for some of the guys, east coast for me. So yeah, sitting rooms, hotel rooms, wow. different things. And that was Westlife on Ali Howe's Common Room. You can catch The Common Room Monday to Friday, 9 to 10 p.m. Now let's move on to online scams. On Wednesday's Back Chat, hosts Anna Fenton and Janice Wong spoke to Gilly Wong, the chief executive of the Consumer Council, about the prevalence and the number of complaints they've been receiving. Related to online purchases, um, everyone knows that the last two years is a very exceptional year for the world. Uh, but no matter what, um, that impacts um, the um, consumer behavior quite significantly in terms of online purchase. So um, if we look back from five years uh, ago from uh, to now, uh, there's a really growing trend uh, in terms of um, the number of complaints that the council received uh, over the past uh, five years, especially from 2019 all the way to 2021. We observed uh, the fact that uh, we received 4,500 cases from 2019 all the way to 20, uh, all the way to 7,000 in 2021. Even in 2020, because of the pandemic year, we received 13 over 13,000 complaint cases. Um, that mainly stemming from um, um, the face mask, um, disinfectant items, and also travel matters. That uh, drove up the uh, complaints a lot in 2020. But if we compare uh, 2019 to 2021, we still observe quite a significant increase from 4,500 cases to 7,000 cases. So it means that um, the online purchase behavior um, is getting more and more popular, especially the types of uh, goods or services that the consumers buy from online are very diverse right now. In the past, it may be limited to a few uh, um, common industries, but right now they buy anything from the web and also social media as well. Um, Gilly, is it your observation that most of these would be local purchases or from overseas suppliers? Um, it could be a broad range because, you know, the online shopping platform, it could be from overseas and they have Hong Kong office as well. So it is even getting harder and harder to distinguish whether they are buying it from Hong Kong or from um, the mainland or from uh, the US or even from the Europe. Um, there are many, many choices uh, for the consumers to buy globally. That's the beauty about online purchase because there's no limitation on the boundary. Um, uh, if you travel, you, you only buy from that places. But right now you can just sit at your home and then buy everything uh, from around the world online, um, but probably you know you have to wait slightly longer than before in, uh, in, in um, the shipment to arrive. But the social media is getting very aggressive in promoting different kinds of goods and services, uh, and we saw quite um, a momentum already for people to buy just through the social media and pay um, to some uh, electronic payment means, but without any receipt or without checking the details of uh, the shop. Um, but just to make a very impulse purchase, just simply because they saw a very good offer, a good deal, or convenient way to buy something that they want to eat or want to enjoy. Uh, and you mentioned an increase in these complaints. Can, can you give us some examples of uh, what these uh, complaints uh, are about? 
Well, usually the amount is not very high, and that's why this kind of scam, or maybe we call it the non-delivery, um, is getting uh, very easy to um, to happen. For example, um, now people buy food um, online, so we receive cases like uh, buying um, um, fruit from uh, the social media during, but unfortunately, uh, after they place the order, the uh, obviously, the, the durian never arrived at uh, home, and also when they message um, the contact person, they block um, the buyer, and of course, you know, there's no way to seek for redress. And there are other complaints as well related to goods like um, electronic items, even coffee uh, capsules, uh, because there are limited edition coffee capsules that is very, uh, very popular. But when you found it online, then um, you just make the immediate purchase before checking the validity of that shop or that particular person. And that also causes a complaint as well. There are many other types, um, even um, simple goods like uh, clothing or sports shoes, um, any daily necessities that you can buy online the, in case you don't check out the, um, the credibility of the, of the shop very carefully and make the payment without any records or proper communication, then it's very easy to fall into this kind of trap. What's your assessment, Ms. Cho? I mean, do these cases or these examples sound, sound like a possible scams to you? Um, that's possible. But of course, you know, we have to rely on the police to investigate before we can confirm it is a genuine scam. Um, but no matter what, because of the popularity of online shopping, it's so common right now. If you are not careful, online shop is always virtual, um, especially through the social media. It could be a person-to-person kind of transaction. It is even harder to trace. So uh, I think that would be quite a challenge, you know, to find out uh, whether those are scam or not. And Ms. Wong, has the uh, Consumer Council received any compl- any like other complaints uh, related to online services, perhaps? Well, um, of course. Uh, for example, if you book um, um, entertainment tickets, or if you uh, book um, travel um, uh, services, but in case uh, there is any miscommunication, or maybe even if you book it, um, but there's n- you couldn't find the booking at all it could possibly be a non-delivery or maybe a loss of the order. Uh, we also received, um, I won't highlight you know, another fact, it's about the suspected spurious goods is um, having a sign of increase. About uh, from 2019, we received only 100 cases, but right now in 2021, we received 350 cases. So there are more fake goods possibly be sold online as well, pretending they are genuine goods too. Ms. Choi, is that your observation too? Or are there more fake goods now? Sorry, say again. Are there more fake goods uh, being sold online now? Is that also your observation? Yes, this is exactly you know what, what I meant. Um, because if the, the number of uh, uh, suspected fake goods online is from, um, has increased by threefold, that means you know, people have to be even more conscious in, in the, sh- the kind of shop that you purchase from. Better, it is much better for you to buy some from some more credible shops, uh, much larger shop. And in case you want to try out some new shops that you haven't purchased before, um, you have you better try with a very small purchase to test out the credibility of the of the shop before you go for a more regular purchase. And then now with the pandemic still still here, I mean, what uh, do you expect these uh, complaints to uh, continue to increase in the coming year? Well, I think it will because of um, the popularity of online shopping and people when they stay home, there are many 
they have lots of time to shop online, and there are many offers that makes you feel so tempted. That it, and also the amount, the transaction amount is not very high. Usually, it ranges from four hundred or five hundred dollars all the way to one thousand or two thousand um, dollars. Those are not a very high amount, so people will just um, take it casually and then place the order. And probably, you know, I would strongly remind consumers that as you see all these kinds of different kinds of offers, you have to be mindful about, first of all, whether you need it or not. Secondly, is the credibility and the reliability of those shops. And thirdly, what kind of payment that you're talking about. If you cannot use credit card, uh, simply just use um, uh, electronic uh, payment means to transfer the, the money um, and then wait for the delivery. Um, the order by itself, the transfer of um, the fund by itself, is there's no detailed record about what you purchased. So when you talk about dispute for follow-up, it's even harder, not to mention the fact that those are virtual shops. So once they block you, it is almost impossible for you to get in connect with them at all. And that was Gilly Wong, the Chief Executive of the Consumer Council, chatting about online scams with Janice Wong and Anna Fenton on Wednesday's Back Chat. And as ever, if you like what you're hearing, please go back to the RTHK Radio 3 archive and listen back to the programs. From scams to pets. Now, how often should we be vaccinating our pets? Dr. David Gething chats to Phil on Thursday's Morning Brew about this. We used to vaccinate every year for everything. Now, don't get me wrong. Vaccinations have saved more animal lives than any other thing we've ever done. So I'm 100% behind it. It's more about using it uh, in the right way. Now, there are some things like, say, heartworm. If you're giving heartworm injections or there's a disease called leptospirosis, those vaccines still need to be done every year, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, some, of the, some of the other ones, like the the, the, the cat flu injection or the, the, the distemper injection, maybe in adult dogs who are not at high risk or adult cats who are not at high risk, maybe those can go to every three years oh, nowadays. Okay, so what kind of things are we talking about? Just remind me, what's on the list? So I guess for, for dogs, normally we would vaccinate them once a year for uh, some for heartworm. Some people give heartworm tablets, some people give heartworm sort of not quite a vaccination, but yearly injection you might say. Right. We also do a yearly shot for this really nasty bug called leptospirosis yeah. in dogs who go outside and play. Yeah, yeah. Um, these days, every one or three years, we'll give the other shot, which is for distemper and hepatitis and all the other nasty bugs um, that, that trap you. For cats, cats are much more simple. Um, we we just do a vaccine every year, every three years, and that's for cat flu and rhinotracheitis, Khaleesi virus, uh, these kind of things. Uh, rhino, so, rhino what? <laughs> basically cat flu is an easier way to say it cat flu the, the normal cat cold okay it's interesting because obviously i had to make it very clear because obviously vaccination is one of the most used words out there right at the moment it's a coincidence we're talking about this nothing what's to do whatsoever to do with anything else that's going on no no, no absolutely and i guess i should say i'm 100 behind vaccination um and and you know we see it firsthand in animals we see we see horrible diseases every day that we can prevent with vaccination. So it just, it breaks my heart when someone decides not to do it. Um, of course, I, I have nothing to do with the human side, so I can't weigh in on that. But definitely for your animals, it's worthwhile doing. But do it as you need to. Do you got it. So h- historically, I don't know how much of a historian you are. Are there things that you just, well, they, I want to talk about mystery diseases in a minute. So are there things in pets that might not exist anymore, such as things in humans? And obviously the vaccine's gone. 
Yes, I mean, we, we look, I guess the, the really good example of that one is, is this disease called distemper. Now, unfortunately, we see distemper in Hong Kong still occasionally. It's a vaccinated disease. We don't see it very much anymore. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I trained in Australia, we, we hardly got lectured on distemper because it had been essentially eradicated in Australia by vaccination. What is, um, what is it again? It sounds like one uh, of these nasty sort of James Herriot diseases. <laughs> yeah, nasty, nasty viral disease affects puppies, causes them to get really, really sick. Um, you know, it, in, in, in some cases you get sort of nasal discharge and cold and coughing. In other cases, you can get neurological problems and so forth. High level of... High risk of death if not treated, and even with treatment, can be real risk. But with vaccination, you know, really, really strong prevention. Got it. Can you um, remember the last time that you guys were introduced to a vaccine you hadn't used before? Well, I guess the one I'd think of is leptospirosis. I mean, lepto, even when I first came to Hong Kong, just wasn't a thing, and and it's really, I'm, I'm, I don't know if it blossomed is the right word or exploded around the world um, in, in the past what five years, maybe ten years. Um, and these days, for any dog who's going out walking in the country parks or you know playing out in dog parks, we would recommend a lepto vaccine. Yeah. Um, that vaccination, the one we recommend, called an L4, that just didn't exist when I when I first came to Hong Kong twenty years ago. Right. Would this be the same in other countries too? Because you keep saying parks, but we've got we actually have tons of wonderful countryside here with all sorts of wonderful animals living there. So, so yeah, look, absolutely, we're seeing we're seeing uh, you know around the world leptospirosis has become more of a problem, um, and obviously it's always been there to some degree, but it's just really it's, it's become much more of an issue and it's spread much wider. Is that due to things like dare I say you know climate change and weather patterns? I'm not sure, no idea. Um, All right. In, in terms of flora and fauna, is there anything to do with that when they go snuffling around things? I mean, I know it's really vague. That's what I'm on about. No, look, this is a good point. And, and, and say if we kept on with the leptospirosis thing, lepto is spread by rats. Ah, um, and, and they are in abundance in our countryside, aren't they? Well, look, and the real problem you get is when you have this countryside that's close to urban civilization, and, you know, the rats can come down into the and, and raid the garbage bins and then go back into the wild. And, and you have this sort of this outbreak of rats and they, they carry disease, a bit like the plague, right, back in the day. You're going to tell me you're not a rat guy now, but I'm dead curious. Why does it always come back to this particular creature? You know, I, you're not a rat guy. <laughs> so what I would say to you is leptospirosis is not actually only with rats. And, you know, leptospirosis can affect many, many animals. Um, you know, everything from dairy cattle to dogs, lepto can affect. Yeah. But I think the thing is that rats are what we see in an urban civilization that we don't have – you know, they're not domesticated. They're sort of wild, feral animals, so they're not as clean as a, as a domestic animal. So they carry more disease. And so it's not not particularly that the rat is more prone to having it. It's just that the rat's in a situation where they're interacting or they're coming into contact with people and dogs. Yeah. Um, I'm, but, I'm, I'm wondering why the rat in history has been the sponge. When it's when and the the next chapter it'll tell us how intelligent and etc cetera, etc cetera the rat is. I know they're not connected, but you know the poor old rat. It's typhoid Mary. Yeah, look, I, I really think it is that though. You think you know when we had sort of or when what we had when they had the plague. This was the same situation that that they had rats in in, in urban areas who were spreading disease. It wasn't like they had a, a a great number of dairy cattle in urban civilizations that could spread disease but weren't cared for. We we have you know huge amounts of rats. Their health is not looked after. They're in they're 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 not really taking care of themselves, and that's that's why they are more prone to getting infected and passing that infection on to others. And that was Dr. David Gething on Thursday's Morning Brew. 
Now let's learn more about speaking milestones and what we expect of our children and how they may be different to what you expect. On Wednesday's 123 show, I spoke to speech and language pathologist Imogen Dean about her children's storybook, Easy For You To Say, which also doubles up as a speech guide for parents, carers and educators. Imogen starts by sharing what her story is about. Boo is my main character, and Boo is actually designed to be either a boy or a girl, depending on how you decide to look at the book. So I've not specified this throughout. I wanted to make it quite relatable for, for any child um, to be able to, to look at this character and maybe see something of themselves in it. Uh, so I have... Um, I've written this book that can be a storybook by itself where Boo looks out the window one day and, and it's rainy and, and it's a real shame because that was going to be Boo's adventure day. Um, but they decide that they're not going to let that stop them. So um, they jump in a boat and off they go on an adventure and they find this island and it's covered with all these very bizarre, chatty, bouncy creatures who are, are doing all sorts of things, falling out of trees and, and swimming in rivers and all kinds of actions um, and each of these little characters has sort of a little catchphrase that they use and it's made up of some silly words and as Boo plays along they try and copy these sounds that these funny creatures are making as they travel across the island. And these sounds are very useful when it comes to sort of speech development and language development. Yeah, they are. Do they mean anything? (laughs) Well, not in themselves. (laughs) They are absolutely nonsense words. Um, But what's really uh, the way that I designed the book is that as uh, someone is reading along with a child, um, engaging the child in some shared book reading, which we know has massive gains for literacy, really, really strong indicators of, of both literacy and language development come with activities like shared book reading between parents and kids. Um, but the words that the characters say also each target a different speech sound. Um, so each different character has a different speech sound that they target, and these silly words that they use uh, have a chance to show us the target sound in the initial position, so at the start of the word, in the middle of the word, and also at the end of the word, which means that we can track if children are able to copy these sounds and see if they are on track with their speech development. Imogen, where did this idea come from? This came to me when I was still in university, actually, and I was in Australia. I was working in a community health centre and we had very limited opportunities for assessment of new children. So we had a waiting list of nine months. This was in a regional area and we had one assessment slot available to us each week. Um, so there was there were a lot of parents wanting to get their children seen for an assessment and we were trying to do the best that we could, but unfortunately we just didn't have the time or the resources to, to screen all of these kids. Um, and so what happened is that we had this really valuable assessment time slot and sometimes a child would come in and they had errors in their speech, it's true, but these errors were developmentally normal. So the child wasn't experiencing any sort of speech delays because, as as you may know, speech is not an all-or-nothing process. It develops over time and certain errors are appropriate up to certain ages, um, which can make it quite confusing if you don't really know what you're looking for. So we had parents bringing their child in um, with their best intentions at heart, but in the end these children didn't really need that time slot and it was it was a time that could have been given to a child who did need the intervention. So I thought, how can I help to empower parents and educators and and, uh, carers to be able to kind of have more of an idea of 
what is normal for my child at this age? What should they be doing? What is it okay if they're not quite doing yet? Um, which is where the idea for this book came from. And many of the children here in Hong Kong may be bilingual or trilingual. So that what sort of an impact does that have on speech development? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the kids here, like you say, do have these multiple languages that they're using, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, in terms of speech development, we can see, depending on which languages are used and how much they're used in certain situations, that there may be a bit of transfer um, of patterns from one language to a second language, so whether that be from Cantonese to English or English to Cantonese, um, we can see a bit of a transfer between those. So this book is written based on English norms, but the the acquisition of speech sounds is from worldwide data. So some of the patterns are more targeted towards English-speaking children who are monolingual or primarily English, um, but the development of sounds is based on international um, studies from all different languages around the world. Yeah, and I think one thing that we should talk about is early intervention. Early intervention is key for, for many things, especially when you've got that golden period for children to acquire language and speech, which is why so many parents are, are worried, oh, are they hitting those milestones? And, and sometimes, frankly speaking, parents don't even know what these sort of developmental speech milestones are. You mentioned just now, Imogen, some great points that there are some sounds that they're not supposed to be making at 18 months or at two years. Um, and, and how does your book sort of help uh, carers and, and parents? Because some of the parents work full time. How does it help carers to, to know as to what sounds are age appropriate? Absolutely. So as I was mentioning before, these animals have the, the silly words that they say and through the joint, the shared book reading experience, we aim to get the child trying to say these words. Now, they're nonsense words. It doesn't matter if they say them correctly or incorrectly. We're just listening out for these particular sounds. And what I encourage parents to do once their child is familiar with the book and is able to give some of these words a go is to turn to the back of the book um, Perhaps they audio record to give them a bit of extra backup uh, so they can go back and listen to what their child was saying. And they can go to the back of the book where there's a guide for parents and it goes through each of these speech sounds uh, that's targeted. And you can tick um, whether your child is producing this, in what positions. And I've also listed some of the common errors there um, with the ages that we would expect those to start dropping off. So you might see that the first time it's targeted at children from three to four. So let's say you're reading it with your three-year-old. They might have errors that you tick in the back of the book and, and I've got a little key there that says, oh, for this age, this is appropriate. But if you were to read the book with a child who was four years old and they had the same errors, um, the key would say, oh, this is a little bit outdated for the child's age. So it may be that they might benefit from seeing a speech therapist. And that was Imogen Dean, a speech pathologist on Wednesday's 123 show, talking about her children's book, Easy For You To Say. And finally, let me leave you with some good old-fashioned music entertainment. Steve James on Monday's Afternoon Drive. I'll be back next Saturday with you on The Week on 3. Have a great weekend. Oh, the factories may be roaring With the boom a lack a zoom a lack a wee But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea Oh, a lawyer in a courtroom In the middle of an alimony plea Has to stop and help him pour When the clock strikes four 
Everything stops for tea. Celebrating the birthday today of our first tea break of the year, Stephen Stills, born 1945, of Buffalo Springfield. Other bands, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, for example. Must have a code that you can live by, and so become yourself. Because the past is just a goodbye. Teach your children well, their father's hell did slowly go by. Them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know died Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they Your elders grew up, and so please help them with your They seek the truth before they can die. Teach your parents well, their children's hell will slowly go by and feed. Them on your dreams The one they picked The one you know by Don't you ever ask them why If they told you you would cry Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and Teach Your Children Well ending that edition of The Week on Three with Noreen Mir. This is RTHK Radio 3 and Radio 4 together.